Lisa Schwartzbaum of Entertainment Weekly calls it bitingly funny but tolerant, bemused rather than bitter. Time Out Magazine says, preposterous and utterly self-absorbed, this has La La Land down to a T. And referring to other late 90s comedies, Peter Brunette of Film.com says it manages to be funny without a single semen or shit joke or scene in which a character has carnal relations with a dessert. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Bowfinger. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters! Welcome. <laughs> that was so emphatic. I like it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have a fist in the air. You certainly do. Right now. What you, hey, what are you drinking? What am I drinking? I'm drinking uh, a little bourbon. A little bourbon, a little bourbon and rocks. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, I have just a, a sparkling water, and I'm nervous that the sizzle of it is going to be picked up on the microphone, but I don't know why I'm worried about that. Hey, more sizzle can't hurt, right? More sizzle can't hurt. Uh, hey, Dan. Hey, John. How's it going? It's going okay. I am uh, so excited. This is our 99th episode, which is just wild. Absolutely wild. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, two years ago, who'd have thunk yeah. it? Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, so it's really fun to be doing a movie from 1999. Yeah. But uh, first, I got uh, something I wanted to mention, uh, one more thing from our Armageddon and Deep Impact episode that, oh, yeah. we, that we did last. Which, by the way, that was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was a blast, literally and figuratively. Ooh. Uh, so I found, I, I didn't know that this was a thing, but it turns out that there's a an upcoming uh, Roland Emmerich movie coming out called Moonfall. Have you heard of Moonfall? No, but I've already got uh, my theories your as ticket. to what it's about. <laughs> I've, I've already got my ticket. I've you already, already got your ticket. So uh, I I found out about this because I it came on my radar because I saw an article about how Stanley Tucci was supposed to be in it, but Michael Pena is replacing him because of COVID travel restrictions, and Stanley Tucci just couldn't. That couldn't is, do of it. course, the logical next step from Stanley Tucci, Michael Pena. Isn't that fun? I love the idea that there's a character that both of those people could play. And yet it makes perfect sense. And yet it makes They're perfect both sense. So good. So uh, according to Deadline, Moonfall is a space drama that kicks off when a mysterious force that knocks the moon from its orbit around Earth and sends it hurtling on a collision course with life as we know it. With mere weeks before impact against all odds, a ragtag team launches an impossible last-ditch mission into space, leaving behind everyone they love and risking everything to land on the lunar surface and save our planet from annihilation. That sounds like fun. So Armageddon tries to out Independence Day, Independence Day, so now the director of Independence Day tries to out Armageddon, Armageddon. Well, I mean, the director of Independence Day oh. is always trying to out Armageddon everything. I mean, I, Armageddon, or not Armageddon, but Independence Day and the day after tomorrow. 
Right. Mm-hmm. I suppose. Uh, which the day after tomorrow. Um, it's it's pretty has good. Aged, has aged well. The one thing that always bothers me about that movies are the CGI wolves that attack oh. like, Jake Gyllenhaal and, and right. awesome. Oh, yeah, that's right. Those were always like, that was always like, oh, who did that? Yeah, but if it was done now, probably be a hell of a lot better. And I demand yeah. real wolves. I love the idea, just the visual of like the moon, like coming towards Earth is bananas, and I love it. And it, it sounds a bit melancholy esque, melancholia ish, right? But me- melancholia directed by Roland Emmerich. Holy cow! Yes, different and, vibe, I'm, different vibe. I'm, I'm a little baffled by the the weeks estimate of of I feel like the moon is is pretty close. It's pretty close. So uh and there was a movie that you noticed that had come out recently that was similar that, to a Deep Impact Armageddon situation. That was my one more thing. Yeah, it's called Greenland and it was released apparently on December 18th and Oh wow, um, just just a month ago. Yes. Yeah, I know. Oh. It I mean totally flew flew under the radar. It's got uh Gerard Butler and uh Morena Baccarin on it, who oh, you would yeah. know from either the uh, television series Homeland, Homeland uh, Deadpool yeah. co stars uh, Scott Glenn is is in there. Um but yeah, the plot of that uh, via IMDB is um, a family fights for survival as a planet-killing comet races to Earth. John Garrity, it, uh, Gerard Butler, his estranged wife Allison, Morena Baccarin, and young son Nathan make a perilous journey to their only hope for sanctuary. Amid terrifying news accounts of cities around the world being leveled by the comet's fragments, the Garrities experience the best and worst in humanity while they battle the increasing panic and lawlessness surrounding them. As the countdown to global apocalypse approaches zero, their incredible trek culminates in a desperate and last-minute flight to a possible safe haven. Do you know how people can watch this? Because I want to check it out. Um, it's got to just be on a streaming platform Well, yeah, somewhere. you can stream it on... Uh, it, it. It's one of those, you know, pay $20 and, and stream oh, it. Oh, deals. it's one of those. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so but it is Dan, available... This begs the question, does this take place in the Friday Night Lights-averse, and is Buddy Garrity going to make an appearance? If that's the case, I will shell out the 20 bucks. I was like, my $20 would be would be down if... if, if, <laughs> if maybe that's the safe haven. It's like Buddy Garrity's auto dealership or or his bar his bar or his restaurant right the the Um, only safe place to go is east dillon texas yeah hey man clear eyes full hearts can't lose (laughs) even to a giant comet yeah uh, texas forever yeah so i yeah i want to check that out it said it was called greenland greenland ironically not filmed in greenland but filmed partially in iceland really okay okay Yes. Uh, so there's one like news ish thing that I wanted to talk about just because like it's been coming up and it has to do with sequels and things like that. Uh, Dan, what do you think about 
a new Sex in the City movie without Kim Cattrall. Well, it's, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, not a movie, but a limited run series. Oh, I thought it was going to be another movie. No, no, I think it's just HBO's kind of do it. Like they're doing with all, like Dexter is coming back for like eight or 10 episodes. uh, Why are they Um, so Sex and the City is coming back. I mean, look, without Samantha, and I, I have never watched a single episode of Sex and the City, nor any of the movies, but I know enough to know that the character of Samantha, as played by Kim Cattrall, had breast cancer. And That's true. Mm-hmm. that was kind of the, the first thing I thought was if you have these friends maybe in the aftermath dealing with the loss of a friend, I mean, I don't know what reasons there are for Kim Cattrall not coming back, but- From what I remember, she was quoted at some point saying, like, why do a job if you're not having fun doing it or something like that. And uh, it seems to me like that was referring specifically to Sex in the City. Not Mannequin. Not Mannequin, not Police Academy. (laughs) Not Police Academy, no. None of the other uh, greats. Uh, So... My, I mean, on, my honest feeling about it is I don't care. Yeah, I don't care uh, either. But my other, like, my does that make sense? Is it just like that was the first thing that popped into my head was it would make perfect sense that she would have, you know, come out of remission. Um, that yeah, I mean, there's so many re- like it's been a while since the last movie, so there are a lot well, of reasons you, know, you can write off any of them on twitter a lot of people have been speculating a possible replacement and i just thought of a great replacement billy if, eichner if michael pena can replace stanley tucci why not kim cattrall and that is how you get me to watch <laughs> sex in the city <laughs> you've already purchased your ticket michael pena <laughs> takes over would he be playing samantha or just like would he be a new member of the crew no he's just samantha He's Samantha. Yeah. yeah. And they just don't comment on it. And he's just there. And as long as he can summarize the events of each episode. Oh, at the like beginning in of the uh, next episode. Like an like Ant-Man? Ant-Man. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so funny. Ant-Man. His, his role in Ant-Man is like. Baskin Robbins don't play. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, he's so good. And his scenes are so funny. And I just love the way that he plays it so much. And it's like, you know, say what. Everyone say what you will about Marvel movies, but like that one is super entertaining, largely due to Michael Pena. I mean, Paul Rudd does, you know, he certainly helps. No, it that one stands out. Way. Ant, it stands Ant, out. Ant Man stands out in yeah. the Marvel. Surprisingly, <laughs> yes, yes. Surprisingly, it, it shouldn't, but the cast makes it just work so well. But anyway, we're going way off topic. We're talking about Bowfinger today. Well, hold on. I had a, oh, I, I a kind thing. of, I had a, a, well, a news item. It's been, you know, that's been in on the internet, and this is regarding the casting. And this, it's not really a remake reboot thing, but uh, Aaron Sorkin is planning to make a film about. Um, <sighs> Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, who I saw referred to as Desi Ricardo in a headline about this. I don't know if it was like Hollywood Reporter or Deadline or something, but referred to him as Desi Ricardo. That's and weird. The casting of Nicole Kidman as, and because it's not an HBO drama series, I'm baffled by that casting. Um, but Javier Bardem as as Desi, I don't know when they're setting this. I I like Javier Bardem a lot, but I. Just don't in the running, see it. in the running for best 
like top five Bond villains, perhaps top three oh, Bond villains. Oh my God. And Absolutely. Javier, Bar- I mean, No Country for Old Men. Yeah, we could go yeah. on and on about how awesome Javier Bardem is, but is he the right? And, and I bring this up because one of the actors that people were like, how are you casting Javier Bardem when Oscar Isaac? Oh my God, Oscar Isaac. So, yeah. which by the way, if you're, if you love Oscar Isaac, like we do, check out at um, tpublic.com our yeah. Oscar Link in Isaac. the description t-shirt yeah yeah um uh, it was oscar Dude isaac and always I forget delivers who, i forget who else was mentioned but it was like they were two other actors that you were like yes uh-huh they, i could much more easily see them as as desi arnaz and and nicole i saw someone um i, I saw someone tweeted about like anna faris as lucille ball because anna faris in her well yeah no no that's the thing i'm like I, i'm i'm kind of wincing and shaking my head for those well i like anna faris is everybody I like Anna Faris and her performances. A lot of her more comedic performances have a Lucy quality to them. I don't, I would, I'm like, what about Jessica Chastain? Yeah, maybe. I I mean, it's that's such a hard person to cast in any type of biopic because it's such a specific type of person. Yeah. And I just like, I love Nicole Kidman, but I feel like, uh, and I know nothing. I know nothing more okay. about the project. I don't know when they're setting this, but if if you're playing Lucille Ball, you need to have a face that can move into different expressions, <laughs> not just concerned and con- contemplative. Yeah. yeah, and which she, you know, I th- I th- I think that Nicole Kidman is an extremely talented actress. I really enjoy a lot of her work. But she's good at what she does, and this is not no, what she does. Uh, now, I would say Nicole Kidman, two thousand one, like Moulin okay. Rouge. Because if you look at Moulin Rouge, her performance is so vibrant, and right. she does a lot of that. And mm-hmm. I could see, I could see Nicole Kidman twenty years ago. Okay, okay, I got a Lucy for you. How about Michelle Williams? Well, Michelle Williams could do any. Michelle Williams could replace Stanley Tucci. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but but absolutely. But yes, Michelle Williams um, in uh, on many levels, I think, would be an excellent choice. Yeah. For Lucille Ball. And there, uh, there are so many actresses, uh, you know, both like big name actresses and actresses that that might not be the names that come to mind. But who probably would be plenty of ex- people we don't even know about. I mean, but think about like comedians and uh, you're you know, talented people. I'm sorry. Kristen Wiig popped into my head and I just had oh, like, she's this, always in, the first. I had an internal debate about whether like in that split second, an internal debate in my head over whether Kristen Wiig would actually make a great Lucille Ball. And I'm like, I don't know. I think I could do it. I think I could buy I it. I think that one of the funniest Saturday Night Live sketches in the past 20 years has to be Liza Minnelli turning off a lamp. Have you not seen this? I haven't seen that one. It's just like four minutes of Kristen Wiig as Liza Minnelli trying to turn off a lamp. Sugar, babe, it's the opening night of Cats and the curtain goes up in 15 minutes. We got to scoot, Liza. Oh, sure. I'd be delighted. Just let me turn off some of these lamps. And now, Liza Minnelli tries to turn off a lamp. Just let me truck it all over here. Oh, I see it. 
Mommy to help you, Eliza. Oh, no, darling. You just relax. I just need to find the clicker or the switch that turns this whole cuckoo thing down. Is there a little knob on here that you turn and everything goes black? It's well, I know what I'm watching when we're done. <laughs> I know. Like, uh, you I need You've nothing. already bought your ticket. You've already bought you your ticket. You have $20 sold. I will watch Kristen Wiig as Liza Minnelli turning off a lamp. Absolutely. I'm it's writing this like, down. It could go on for an entire day, and I would watch every second of it. But uh, I think of Kristen... Like Clockwork I, Orange, peel my eyelids open style. <laughs> I, I think of Kristen Wiig doing the, the character that, like, Aunt... Uh, like the aunt who can't who who can't keep a secret. Oh yeah, can't keep a surprise. And oh yeah, she did that on her recent hosting. Oh gig. Yeah. yeah, I just I think about that, and then I picture her doing scenes from I Love Lucy, doing like the Candy Factory, and she's just one of the best. She'd be brilliant, but yeah. she, again, not the only one. And Michelle Williams, of course, amazing. So right. But I think that's that's interesting, and I I think it would be it, it's an interesting project for Aaron Sorkin yeah, to do. And I I'm, mean, I'm, you have to wonder the vibe of this thing and like what it's really about. Like I don't know, is it just about their tumultuous relationship? And you know, or, I would imagine I can't, so. And I her, can't imagine it's just about like the basic biopic type of stuff. I'm guessing. It'll pro- it'll focus on his professional jealousy of her, her power, like how how, and I'm saying this with very little research, pure speculation, to back it up, yeah. But how over the course of of the series, how she became more powerful, and he kind of lost status and became right. like a second banana to her, second fiddle to her. And there was that professional jealousy. I do wonder if they're going to option Weird Al Yankovic's Ricky. Oh, and and Dan, Probably speaking not. and Probably speaking not. of and speaking of Babalu, you can go on our T Public store and get our written by Babalu <laughs> Lowell Gans and Babalu Mendel shirt. <laughs> oh, we have fun here. Nineteen ninety nine Bowfinger. Let's talk. Oh about man. It. Should we? I mean, I know we've talked about 1999 before, but what a mm-hmm. year for movies! Yeah, lay it across out across the board. Just I, from your, you know, popular cinema. I remember going to the movies early that year, seeing things like Cruel Intentions. Oh yeah, analyze this. Um, I think Go was that year Sounds as well. About right, Doug Lyman's uh, Go uh, of Timothy Oliphant. Um, in that and you can get that t-shirt too yes you can tpublic.com <laughs> slash user slash ruined childhoods uh, or just go to the link in the episode description um and you have the big block star wars episode one the long-awaited star wars episode one regardless of what you think of it it was right. a major cinematic event it was such a major cinematic event that our brother Scott and I stood in line waiting to go to a midnight screening of it at the Rialto in Westfield uh, and made it on the New Jersey Network News. Uh, I was chanting Star Wars, Star Wars, and Scott was standing in the middle of the street with a Darth Vader helmet on doing a jig with a lightsaber because we were weird teens. And that was supposed to be the night before you graduated from college, but it got delayed because of weather, I believe. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. And I, I, I think if you go back in the archives uh, to some other 1999 movie that we've covered, uh, that, that story, we might've even posted that video. Oh, possibly. On Instagram yeah. at some point. And then in terms of your like independent films, art house cinema being John Malkovich oh, is yeah. released that year, um, which just totally blew my mind. And, and it's incredible. And I watched yeah. it recently. It holds up just as good as the first time I saw it. Absolutely. So you've got all you've got from the blockbusters to the art house. You've got so much going on. 19, American Pie, as as was right. referenced in, uh, in, in yeah the, the intro, the intro. Um, yeah, and I believe they're also he was also referencing. There's something about Mary, uh, which came something out in about Mary. Yeah, yeah. The second Austin Powers came out in 99. That was a big one. The South Park movie came the out in 99. The second Austin Powers, I believe, also featuring Heather Graham. Yes, Heather Graham, who, so, I mean, and Heather Graham had been, you know, acting, had been in Hollywood. I'm not sure well, if Drugstore Cowboy was she her. She started her in, license the, to in like drive. 84. License to Drive was definitely one of her first. But uh, she was around, I mean, and then, of course, just the year before with Boogie Nights? Two two years. Two yeah, years 97. before? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So then, yeah, 1999, all these big movies coming out. And then you got Bowfinger, which comes out in um, late... Uh, let me just take a look. Uh, I, I, I remember it coming out, yeah, in August 99. August so, 13th, 99. Mm-hmm. To me, this movie was of all like so many movies that came out in 1999 Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy two of my yeah. comedy heroes right teaming up and Frank Oz one of my favorite mm-hmm. directors directing him directing them and this was just such a uh I was so excited to see this movie I yeah, saw it at the I, Westfield Rialto by the way <laughs> in the upstairs cinema. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, no. yeah, that you know, I don't really remember so much about this movie coming out. I remember that it came out, I think it was just the year after Bullworth, and I think that for a long time I confused the two of them in my mind because they had such similar titles. Very different movies. I mean, not super d- different movies. They're they're different in some ways, but they're they're still late 90s comedies. Yes, you Bullworth know. being a much darker satire. Yeah. This also being a satire. This being a satire as well. And yeah. Bullworth being definitely more about politics, but also definitely uh, putting Hollywood on the fire a yeah. little bit in Bullworth. So, okay, so you, you confused those. Uh, those oh, just two? like for a few years, you know, until I like saw Bowfinger and was like, oh, no, 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 this movie's amazing and I need to just always remember the difference between these two because it's significant. Um, uh, what's up? Oh, it, it, if I may, sorry, I was, as I was just in my mind thinking of all the great movies that came out in 99, I I just remembered about Election, a oh, movie yeah. that came out in 99. And, and we need to pour one out because Jessica Campbell, the actress who played Tammy, um, in that passed away. Oh no. Yeah. How long ago? I like uh, today. Um, Oh really? Uh, or, or yesterday I remember seeing this and I had been uh, thinking 
earlier and um oh sorry not today december 29th so just recently oh that's so sad yeah, yeah definitely pour one out she's great in election oh yeah and such a good movie such mm-hmm. a great movie totally worth going back to but um and another another great satire another awesome movie that comes out in 1999 yeah and I, you know we were talking a lot about how independent films were really i uh, kind of making their mark around that time, you know, especially in the 90s. That's when, like, independent films started to become really dipping into the mainstream. And uh, Election is definitely one of those where it's like, what? Like, you know, it's the kind of thing where you watch and you're just like, what am I watching? It's just so very bizarre. Well, Uh, interesting. Uh, Also, I just also want to shout out Jessica Campbell's performance in Freaks and Geeks because she's uh, great in that, too. Yes, yes, yeah. thank you. Um, but yeah, so election was, and I think American Beauty or was that year as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but with election, it was. Pre- I remember it was MTV Films, right? Yeah, MTV Films, and it's based on a novel by Tom Parada, and uh, Tom Parada great- is from either our hometown or the Westfield. town right next to it. I oh, think he's-, he's from Westfield, and I think election. Even though in the movie it takes place, I think somewhere in the Midwest, like in Ohio, uh, I think in the book it's not specified. But it, I, I, I think thought it's that he had be... like a t- a connection to Garwood for some reason. Well, another neighboring Gar- Garwood town. is just a ligament connecting Cranford and Westfield. I, I understand. It's there to supply think... groceries and fast food. Yes. I apologies I... to anyone from Garwood who's listening. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, and uh, Jessica Campbell. She was living here in Portland. Oh, I don't know. Just a thing. Oh yeah, no, he was. He is from from Garwood. Okay, thank Born you. Hello. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, a fantastic writer. Uh, he also wrote like Little Children, tons of stuff. Um, yeah. Really, really talented yeah. person. And and all of his stuff kind of takes place in the same area. Uh, the uh, Mrs. Fletcher, which the HBO series with uh, Catherine Hahn, that is also Tom Parada property. And uh, yeah, so. I was just disappointed that that wasn't like a murder she wrote prequel. Oh, Mrs. Fletcher is a really great series. And Catherine yeah. Hahn is awesome. Actually, I think I saw somebody floating her name around as a. Uh, I would love to oh. see as Lucy. I don't know if I necessarily see it. I think she's awesome, but I just I love her in the would. the the Bad Moms movies. Oh, she's those? so funny. She's outrageous yeah. in those. Uh, so yeah, no. Let's let's talk more about um, Bowfinger. Bowfinger. So, yeah. yeah, that's what we're here to do. Yeah, this movie. It's you know Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy. I think that Eddie Murphy said that he took the role just so that he could work with Steve Martin. And it's really interesting because this is an era. It's it was kind of looked to be kind of a comeback movie for the two of them because they both kind of like taken a dip I would say and it was really interesting to see Eddie Murphy even though in it he plays the hottest actor in town but I don't know he kind of plays like second fiddle to Steve Martin and the more you think about it like I don't know just the way that it plays itself it feels less of an eddie murphy movie but then uh, i don't know when you think about it you're just like oh no eddie murphy is like really doing so much in this that it kind of gets awesome especially when he's playing uh jiff which it's funny because eddie murphy 
after, uh, I would say starting with, I, I think, Coming to America, kind of was known for ta- for doing like multiple parts in the movie, like playing right, the main yeah. role, but then other parts and like Nutty Professor. Sure. He takes on all the roles and, but those are all kind of generated. I feel like that's more generated by him. Whereas yeah. this is not, it's a screenplay written. It's written by Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, and it's, they're two entirely separate characters. It's not like one is being played for real and the other is being played for jokes, which is kind of yeah. nutty professor is kind of, you know, like that. Yeah. But, um, the, his performance in both roles is awesome, especially is, as Jif, especially as oh, Jif. Oh, yeah. Jifferson, Jif Ramsey. <laughs> I didn't realize that it was short for Jifferson until I saw it on Wikipedia, but because I don't remember it coming up that way in the movie. He mumbles know. it. Oh, maybe Jifferson. That's so funny. <laughs> He mumbles it when he so, first meets when he first meets him and he, he's wearing like the oversized like he's He's definitely wearing that like late '90s style, like the oversized. Uh, like, oh yeah, polo and he's and he's you know got braces, and he's got this crazy just like look on his face. And uh, we'll go into some more, but yeah. I want to do the synopsis first. It's a brief one, uh, and I hope that I I cover enough. But here we go. Scraping by on sheer guts, Bobby Bowfinger fulfills his dream of making a big Hollywood movie the only way he knows how with an elaborate lie. Thinking that they have landed the biggest star for their alien takeover film, Chubby Rain, Bowfinger manages to convince them that all is going according to plan and that Hollywood superstar Kit Ramsey can only be filmed from afar without anyone letting on to him that he is even in the movie. They even go far as to cast a lookalike for Close Shots, who happens to be Kit's brother. By pure luck, the entire ruse falls into place, largely due to Kit's actual paranoia of being followed, and it manages to stay under wraps thanks to Mindhead, the cult-like organization Kit is a member of, who urges him to keep it together. Ultimately, the con really works due to the gumption of Bobby Bowfinger, who makes it his mission to make everything work, not just for his own career, but also for his friends. That's it. So... Bobby Bowfinger is Steve Martin. Uh, Eddie Murphy plays Kit and Jif Ramsey. Heather Graham plays Daisy, who is a country bumpkin who comes to Hollywood and basically gets off the bus and says, where do I go to be in a movie? And uh, <laughs> ends up sleeping with absolutely everybody on the set to get, you know, to get on top. Uh, Christine <laughs> Baranski stealing scenes as Brilliant. Carol. Who's Brilliant. this like... You know, she's this theater actor who just like... She's Moira Rose. She's Moira Rose. She is exactly Moira Rose. Oh, my goodness. I love it. Uh, Terrence Stamp plays Terry Stritcher, who's the mind head uh, main person, I guess. Um, You have Robert Downey Jr. as this Hollywood executive, Jerry Renfro. Uh, Jamie Kennedy plays Dave, the cinematographer. And uh, let's see, who else do we have here? Uh, an early performance by John Cho as just a very, very small role. Anyway, it's so great. And I could talk about Christine Baranski all day. Can I tell you how frustrating it has been for the last 20 years 
that this movie is not more widely known because of how many times I have either just referenced it because I don't care who gets it or uh-huh. the number of times I have so just like, KIT, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, sh- showing it to the Laker girls. Um. Yeah. So there's this whole thing <laughs> with uh, Mindhead where they're, you know, he's, in, he's, he's an extremely paranoid person and they're trying to get him to KIT, keep it together. And then the other issue that he has is that he really wants to show his wang to the Laker girls. It's like eating him up inside. He wants to do it so badly. And they're just like, do not expose yourself to the Laker girls. It's such a weird joke. It's such a weird joke that comes back in the funniest way. It gets even weirder when, um, (laughs) and I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't think we have the, uh, the clip to play. Um, that it's the voice of John F. Kennedy in his head <laughs> telling him to show it to the Laker girls. Well, you know what? Why don't we uh, play a quick, a quick little clip from uh, Eddie Murphy as Kit with um, with Terry Stritcher, the head of yeah. Minehead. It seems as though you're doing much better. Yes, yes. Your paranoia is definitely under control since you came to understand happy premise number one. Happy premise number one. There are no aliens. Happy premise number two. Happy premise number two. There is no giant foot trying to squash me. Happy premise number three. Happy premise number three. Even though I feel like I might ignite, I probably won't. So what do we do? Keep it together. Keep it together, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. And what is it we don't do under any circumstances? Oh, man. What is it? (laughs) I have to show it to the Laker girls. You cannot show it to the Laker girls. Keep Mr. Weenie in the pants. Always in the pants. I know you want to show it to the Laker girls, but you must never show it to the Laker girls. Oh, I just love that. It's so good. I love the delivery of it. I love the way it's written that he repeats Laker Girls. I love that it keeps coming. The first 20 minutes of this movie set the rest of it up so wonderfully. What's also so funny about this movie is that, you know, you're watching this movie about the making of a super low budget indie movie. And there's something about it. And I don't know if it's because at the time there were all these other movies coming out like this opened up against the sixth sense where it's like, you know, there's all these other movies that feel just a lot more grand and real. And this movie, it's about a not really real movie and it kind of doesn't feel like a real movie. And I feel like that's kind of designed to kind of feel that way. Uh, it's not meant to feel like a big I don't know, experience. You're kind of in it with them. It kind of draws you in and makes you feel like you're in this this small little isolated world that they're in. Yeah. Yeah. It's um I don't are you talking about the like chubby rain? No, being, I'm talking about I'm talking about Bowfinger, yeah. Yeah. Uh and and, and I, also when it does go to those Eddie Murphy scenes where he's kid, like you feel like he's a real like Kit Ramsey is a real person who has these really real bizarre problems because he plays it so well. And I feel like this is just like an awesome time in Eddie Murphy's career where he's committing in a different way. 
he's not playing everything for outrageous laughs in this movie as opposed to how it is kind of in things like The Nerdy Professor. And I think that it it not being a Eddie Murphy movie. Right. It it helps him. I always- Yeah, well, he clearly respects Steve Martin's writing and, and his talent. I mean, Steve Martin is kind of like a generation before him, just ever so slightly. And, yeah, yeah. you know, it's kind of like Steve Martin kind of like created a pathway for people like Eddie Murphy a little bit. Well, yeah, Steve Martin, humor. he went from stand up and to yeah. to, um, you know, to film. And yeah. yeah. And what I like about Bowfinger is that it is whereas it's it's like it's set in the real world, but it everything in the world that they create is just a little off and they establish it. To the point that, like, you buy it when things happen that you're like, okay, well, that wouldn't really happen. But they set it up so wonderfully in this alternate, you know, like, mind head being a thing. or right. Which is a riff on Scientology. A riff on Scientology. Oh, which, by the way, I've always appreciated this. And I'm, like, excited to finally actually talk about it. The title, Chubby Rain... Of uh-huh. the movie that's written by the accountant, Ephraim. Yeah. And if you want, do you want me to play the scene first where he, he explains to his little crew about Chubby Rain? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to talk yeah. about the title. <laughs> yeah, let's do that real quick. We are not the big guys. We are the little guys. We never had muscle before, but now we do. Because last night I read a screenplay that every studio in town is going to want. And how did we get this screenplay? Because Afram here is a damn fine writer as well as accountant and part-time receptionist. I said, Afram, if you can write as well as you can add, well, I didn't even have to finish my sentence. 12 days later, he hands me this, this masterpiece. Oh, thank you, boss. All right, tell him the title. Ah. Chubby Rain. What? Chubby Rain. Tell him why. You see, the aliens come down to Earth in the raindrops. Yeah. Making the raindrops chubby. Aliens in the raindrops. Chubby Rain. I mean, at the end of this movie, when our hero, Keith Kincaid, looks up at the alien antenna and says, Gotcha, suckers! I mean, that is a moment. Talk, there's another reference that I, I tend to make that I'm like, I don't think anyone's going to get that. Like, gotcha, suckers. Gotcha, suckers. Yeah. But the name Chubby Rain. Let's talk about that for a moment because I have a theory about that. Okay, go on. I think it is an obscure erection joke parodying the title of the, I believe, 1998 action movie, Hard Rain. <laughs> because you know what's one of the many euphemisms for an erection oh a chubby. my god that's so funny hard rain christian slater and morgan freeman <laughs> it's a yeah it's a it's a great theory should you ever run into steve martin i really hope that you ask him i love that, that. Reference. i if i ever run to run into steve martin i i don't know i'm gonna like just lose it but um yeah, it, that's it, great it, but I also have to say the idea of aliens invading by like 
going into the, so like if you imagine an alien species that could shrink down to the size of, mm-hmm. of something that could fit inside a raindrop to make it just a little chubbier, that's actually a really fun idea. I yeah. like that. Yeah. I'd go I for think that. I'd pay and $20. There you go. Ticket purchased. So what, what I love, uh, and you hear it in his voice in that clip, or it's like, Bobby Bowfinger is somebody who is extremely supportive over these little people, these people who, you know, he's this guy's an accountant and part time receptionist, and he asks him to just write a script. He's like, hey, I, I've, why not? Why wouldn't you be able to write a script? And he loves it. Clearly, it's not great, but. I don't know. It's like he really believes in his people and he just was so committed to making this movie happen. Well, when you take it, when you take the the like the production value of when they're actually making Chubby Rain, which is borderline like, you know, you you're you're a teenager with a camcorder in the 1990s yeah. and you're doing your own little like homemade special effects. That's the production value. But when you think about a lot of the the story and the conspiracy. I'd be interested to read that that script, <laughs> Chubby yeah. Rain. Yeah, uh, I now I just want to play the clip for. So so then what happens is he finds all these clever ways to get himself next to Robert Downey Jr.'s character Jerry Renfro in order to kind of talk up this movie, Chubby Rain, to try to get him to produce it and uh, he goes in there he's got this fake little ponytail on he uh borrows and i'm putting that in quotes a car from uh dave the the cinematographer his cinematographer friend who works at a garage gets him a nice looking car so that he can he works at a restaurant at a at a movie studio he works at a studio right but he works in the garage and is able to get him uh, you know, these nice looking cars to borrow for like 45 minutes so he can go out and do his crazy antics. So this is uh, this is Steve Martin with Robert Downey Jr. at the restaurant. Universal is begging me for this script, but I don't want to give it to him because they screwed me once. You really ought to take a look at it. Yeah, take a look at it. Yeah. It starts nice. Yeah. That's it, isn't it? Look around, man. All this. Yeah. yeah. Right. Gotcha, suckers. Wow, that is a catchphrase. Isn't huh? that good? I just saw the poster. Let's be risky today, huh? I'm gonna go with this. You know what? You bring me this script and Kit Ramsey, and you got yourself a go picture, Bobby. Oh, okay. Oh, thanks. thanks. How great is it, by the way? So he takes the car phone out of the car, and it was 1989, so car phones actually had cords. So he just rips the cord out, and... As he's talking, as he's pretending to talk on the phone, being really obnoxious, as the cord comes out of his sleeve, and you just see the the torn cord hanging there. Oh, and he had taken the remember he takes the ponytail off oh, when yeah, he goes in, in but bucket. then when he goes to give Jerry Renfro his card, the ponytail is like stuck yeah. with it, and he just gives it to him. And Robert Downey Jr. is fantastic in the scene. I he's love great. him when he's I just saw the poster. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, God. Love Robert Downey Jr. I I feel like this character and his character in Soap Dish are somehow related. Wow. I would love... um, This is David Seton Barnes, uh, you know, later. He changes his name. Right. Totally. After the whole uh, 
Montana Mo- Moorhead situation. Milton, Milton Moorhead. Milton yeah. Moorhead. So, so uh, check out yes. the soap dish episode. It's in the archives. <laughs> Way back in the archives. So yeah. I don't know this whole, this whole movie just, it feels really comfortable when you're in it. And there were a lot of moments where I, even though I've seen this movie a bunch of times before, just like could not stop laughing. And I think that a scene that I, because I watched it a few nights ago, and I think that one scene that made me laugh harder this time than it had in the past is the scene where they have Jif acting as Kit Ramsey, and they have him cross the highway with cars whipping by, and Steve Martin tells him, like, oh, these are all stunt drivers, you know, they're not going to hit you, which it's just like, how can you ask somebody to do that? That is wild. And the the look on Eddie Murphy's face as he's doing this is absolutely beautiful. It's perfect. not just the face, the physicality of it. His oh yeah, his, his just his body as he's freezing up. And uh, I rem I, I didn't I I watched it recently. I watched it the other night. Uh, I did not watch it with the commentary track, but I had mm-hmm. I remembered the commentary track. And hearing Frank Oz talk about how a lot of the cars were digitally added in, which, by right. the way, there's there's one of your less realistic aspects of the movie is that a Los Angeles freeway during the day is moving at such a pace. Oh. So, <laughs> but it, it's yeah. so funny. And Heather Graham uh, on on the side doing her and Heather Graham's accent, her accent so that bizarre. she uses as this character, Keith, Keith. <laughs> It's, it's so weird. You forgot your briefcase. It's so funny. And yeah, that scene is is hilarious. Yeah, they're all stunt drivers. And then after he crosses the road and it's like, all right, I want you to go to Starbucks and get us some coffee. Yeah, so so Jif's whole thing is that he really just wants to run errands for them. And it's like the other stuff is, you know, not really his favorite stuff, but he loves running errands. So he comes back and he's like, oh, yeah, so I need you. This is really important. I need you to go to Starbucks and get us all these coffees, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, okay, great, great, great. He's like, all right, but, but first, let's do that one more time. <laughs> and then just cuts to the close up of his face, just looking terrified on the other side of the highway. It's so good. It is. Yeah, I, I definitely laughed. At, I la- I was laughing out loud quite a bit while I was watching this again. And there's so much there. There's a lot of subtlety in a lot of the jokes, a lot of things that could pass you by. Um, another aspect of Kit Ramsey's character is he that you know he's perceiving racism in Hollywood, and that mm-hmm. oh yeah, all of the white actors get Oscars and get the best catchphrases. They even they set that up. And when he's talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger and he goes, they can't even speak English good, (laughs) which, you know, grammar nerd here. Uh, Yeah. So things like that were were great when he talks about like Shakespeare and he brings up that it's shake a spear. You hear what they're saying? Right. Shake a spear, which scary movie ripped that joke off from Bofing. Oh, and, and also he says how he couldn't play Keith Kincaid because there's three K's in the name and KKK. And uh, it's just, Oh, was that about Keith Kincaid? Was no, it not? Th- no, no, that was another script that he had where he's oh, like, I ran it through the right. computer. The number K appears in this like X oh, amount of right. times. It's yeah. divisible by three. Right. Well, that was another one. And then he I think that when he sees that this script, because Bowfinger manages to get 
into his like behind his gates and he sees the script and wasn't there something Except about Keith, Keith Kincaid, Kincaid only has two K's in it because the because Keith the K in Keith and then K I N K A I D K I N C A I D. Well, anyway, there was some reference to the name having three K's in it, so he wouldn't do something. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I I miss that having to do with the Keith Kincaid bit because he doesn't. Well, no, because he doesn't even know when people are running up to him calling him Keith and. Uh, he doesn't well, even know yeah. what's going on. Well, absolutely. And I think that's a, a good opportunity to sneak in. Uh, I want to do the clip of him talking with Christine Baranski's character, Carol, uh, for the first time, because she approaches him after she has been told, do not approach him. Do not talk to him about this movie. It is his acting method to only be shot from afar and not be aware, like, not be let on that he's even in a movie and Christine Baranski. Ah, absolutely perfect. I know that I'm not supposed to be doing this, but I just want you to know that you were so real in your response to the aliens. I mean, I wasn't even sure that I could be a pod person, but now of course I'm enjoying it because you made the aliens come alive. It was like they were living inside of me. Oh, and at first I was nervous about us having sex, but now I think it's a good idea, as long as we do it in a completely professional manner. And of course, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of people watching. I won't bother you anymore. It's just so weird. Well, and what about the scene? So uh, the scene when when he's having lunch with his agent at the Mm -hmm. Rodeo Grill and the agent conveniently gets up to, as he says, schmooze. Uh, oh right, that's and, so funny. And she, that's where Christine Baranski has her first like chubby rain scene, right? With him, uh, and the way that she ends it with the "I must get my umbrella" line is <laughs> magnificent. She is just perfect. I mean, there's so many things. I, another, uh, another one of those references. Um, the scene when she is when they're, when they're doing the first scene, the scene when it's Heather Graham is running out of the oh, gates yeah. uh, of With the, the house, and, and Christine Bur- and Christine Baranski asks, "Shouldn't I be in this scene? Yeah, let me put that in the house. I could be lurking behind a bush. I could, I could be, lurking be lurking behind a bush. I I like I think about that line randomly sometimes and start laughing." I just think about some of her facial expressions when she gets really wide-eyed and like crazy looking. But I think I have the clip that you're talking about where um, she's doing the scene. She's about to do the first scene. Yeah, so let's just play that real quick. Let's play it. I've been 25 years in the theater before coming to Hollywood. Carol? We are almost ready. My darling, I still don't see why I can't meet the man I'm going to be working with. Well, I just spoke with Kid. He wants to impress you so much with his acting, and he needs his total concentration. Oh, that's just young. I know. I wish just once I could work with someone who would hone the craft. Right, but right now we need that scene, Carol. You'll get your scene. He may not be a professional, but I am. Oh, Carol. (laughs) I would watch just a, a cut, just like, um... All of her scenes cut together. I mean, you're totally right. She is Moira Rose. Like, forget everything that I was going to say about any type of remake or sequel or anything. Like, I want to see the movie with Carol and Moira Rose together. 
Well, and it was funny because that was I in thinking about it and thinking about because there's this great cast of characters that you really don't get that much information about outside of what's relevant to uh, to to this film. And yeah. in thinking about like, wow, like what about a sequel, a sequel that focused on Carol and like where her career has gone? And I was like, well, she's Moira Rose. She's Moira Rose. Yeah, yeah she's Moira Rose. Uh, but yes, to see something with Carol and Moira, like Carol would be doing fruit wine ads. <laughs> Absolutely. And putting everything into it. A hundred percent. Uh yeah, and then um, just while we're on the subject of Carol, she does have the, you know, not the end end, because we'll talk about that in a minute, but when the the jig is up and uh, they are exposed for doing this entire ruse, um, and then the kind of the core group without uh, Bowfinger just kind of sitting around, and then she just has this kind of great moment at the end. Mm-hmm. I have eight brothers and four sisters and no job! I'm screwed! There's no movie. I mean, I can't believe there's no movie. You know, I wasn't looking for work because I thought I was working. I showed my breasts on film. For what? I'm a felon. My friends, I have a cousin who's a lawyer. I say we take action. We sue. Sue, sue. Carol, what do you think? I think... I think it was a beautiful lie. It's just such it makes, a nice moment. And it makes so much sense because if, if you look at these characters, Dave and Slater uh, and um, that Heather Graham's character, uh, Daisy, Daisy, they're younger. Afram, Afram, yeah. Afram doesn't seem like he kind of grew up wanting to be in the movie business no. and kind of happened into it. But when you think about Carol and Bowfinger, they're around the same age. They have clearly been, have invested their lives into this. So she gets it. And I love yeah. that the script gets that and gets that yeah. across. Like she totally gets it. And another thing, I, I, I don't think we mentioned this yet, but that Bowfinger is funding the movie. Oh yeah. With money that he's saved up since he was what? 10. Something like that. 12, like putting something. money, like every week he would put a certain amount of money into a box. And if he yeah. missed one week, he'd make it up. And like, you see him throughout the movie going through the cash he has and it, it 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 makes the more despicable things that he does, you know, lying, stealing Daisy's credit card. Right. <laughs> that was a moment where I was like, ah, I uh, I really wanted you to can to still just be good and have this main lie just be the one bad thing. If for some reason she happened to reveal that she has a bunch of money and it's just like, oh yeah, you can have, what do you need? You know? Cause at the beginning when she goes to audition for the movie and he's asking for $25, she's ready to write a check without asking any questions. Yeah. But she doesn't have cash. So right. he assumes she doesn't have money. And I just, I wonder if that decision is kind of made because she has, it's already been established that she is sleeping with whoever she thinks can get her to the next yeah. level. So I wonder how much of that, and I'm not saying that there's an equivalence between the two. One is theft. One is sex. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm trying to remember first it's with 
the other actor, Slater, right? Slater, yeah. and uh, played by Cole Suduth. I don't, I'm not familiar with him. Suduth. Uh, Suduth. Uh, and then is she Afram? with Bowfinger? Afram. It's, it's, so it's, yeah. What, All right. Afram it's, it's comes Slater, before Bowfinger. Afram, Bowfinger, then, and then Dave. Jeff. Oh, right. And then Dave. Yeah. I think Dave comes before Jif. Then it's Jif. Then it's Kit. Right. And then and- it's the most powerful lesbian in Hollywood. Yeah. 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 Uh, but while we're on the subject, I, one of my favorite moments is one, Dan, that you actually asked me to pull uh, a sound clip for. So I just want to play that really quick. We are finished. We are over. How come? You had sex with Jif. So? Well, I never thought of it that way. I'll see you tonight. What time? Eight. Okay. Well, I hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> I yeah, uh, the banter. Well, and and I think and I think that that was um that's a really that's a great example because it it shows that you know they're they're morally they're kind of on even ground. Sure. Yeah, they're all doing what they have to do. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I mean, they're all and, being sneaky. <laughs> Yeah, and it's not like Bowfinger is taking her money to do things selfishly for himself only. He's doing it for everybody. You know, like, he does shady things for himself, not even really for himself. Because, like, you know, at the beginning when he steals the, like, nice jacket from the clothing store, uh, which is hilarious the way that he does Mm -hmm. it. You know, he's not doing it because he just wants a nice jacket. He's doing it so that he can impress somebody so that he can get this movie made for these people. So, yeah, he does have that one line though, where he says, uh, something about, um, of course I, I didn't ask you to pull this clip, but he says he's, uh, he says, and when we succeed and by we, I mean me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Somebody's just classic Steve Martin. Right. But the whole thing, the whole chubby rain movie happens because he he you know he tries to get it made he does he goes through lengths to get to try to get kit on board legit with this and he just can't bring himself to let down his friends and instead of letting them down he creates this whole giant ruse to make it work out he has that he and he does have some really genuine moments that sell that. Um yeah. and, and it's more like you see it in his face, like when he's standing in front of everyone and he sees them and he just takes that moment and he's just yeah. like, Yeah, you know who I see here. And and let's not forget also just in the many dimensions of this screenplay, there are the characters of the film crew. Yeah, the four <laughs> Mexican immigrants that he <laughs> Picks up at the border. Well, yeah, well, he. I think leading up to that, he says to, um, I don't know if it's Dave or somebody, he's like, all right, we got to get the best crew we can buy, like best crew money can buy. And yeah. it just cuts to the border with you hear gunshots and just Mexicans running. And they have the van back door open and they're like, come on in, come on in, come on in. It is, oh my God, but it is per- such a, what's up? The progression of those characters. Oh, they're great. 
you don't know much about, but as the movie goes by, they start to, they learn more about film. And by the end, yeah. they're talking about classic cinema and different yeah. filmmakers. And- well, and also it's like, they all have like cell phones and mm-hmm. I, they're getting job offers. They're getting job offers yeah. by the end. Yeah. They're kind of great. And, uh, you know, the, that moment could have been played just for the one joke of like picking up immigrants from the border and uh, instead they kind of make those characters into be i don't know probably some of the the i don't know the best characters that i don't know they just they just well, work so well they're great characters to keep an eye on because of that development and how like it's not like they were coming to america to break into the movie industry but here they right. are and as they're Working in it, and, and oh, there's another 1999 movie because they referenced Stanley Kubrick at one point, and Eyes Wide Shut, 1999. Oh, yeah, Stanley yeah. Kubrick's last film. Speaking of Nicole Kidman, speaking of Nicole Kidman in an excellent role, she's great yes, in that. Absolutely. So, one of the things that I saw about this is that it, and and I I only saw it in one place, so I can't speak to the legitimacy of this. I think it was in the IMDb trivia. But it was stated that there was an inspiration for this from an actual thing that happened with uh, Mary Pickford. Somebody had stitched together footage of her just kind of out and about and built a movie around it. So I think that's it, how the story goes. Was it like in Europe? Was it, was it in like Europe? She was uh, vacationing in Europe or something. Yeah, I remember reading that. Yeah, and I... It's such a fascinating thing. I mean, first of all, in, you know, the time when Mary Pickford was was big, you know, in like the 40s, say, it's not like people, you're looking at me up crazy. 20s? <laughs> well, yeah. I just thought that she was active still a little bit longer, but but yeah, you know, I, active in the, you know, the earlier days of cinema, it's not like everybody has cameras the way that they do now. Like being able to get somebody while they're just on vacation filming them is probably pretty challenging when you're the only person around that has a camera. So, and this is, but on the other hand, this is also like pre TMZ. This is pre, well, Mary Pickford is definitely pre TMZ, but that's a hundred percent for sure. But yeah, but even, um, you know, Bowfinger is, is, is really just before that advent of, you know, everyone having cell phones and cameras. Sure. And yeah. I'm but looking this, up Mary Pickford. Right. But, but Bowfinger also takes place in Los Angeles where, you know, there are movies being made all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so it's a little bit less surprising. But if, you know, you're just vacationing somewhere and somebody has a, a camera and it's like the 30s or something, it's going to stand out a lot more. So, I, I mean, I, if it's if it's a true story, then that's great. I, well, I mean, not great from a privacy perspective, but fascinating, I should say. Mm-hmm. And oh, uh, sorry, just, well, I just wanted to, uh, since we're talking about Mary Pickford here, just wanted to give a little background. So she did. Uh, so she became such a powerhouse in Hollywood. She she started. She was one of the people that started United Artists. Yeah, United with Artists. Char- yeah. Charlie Chaplin and. Douglas, Douglas Fairbanks. Fairbanks. 
And so she retired from acting in 1933. Ah, and okay. She did a theater stint, but she produced in in the 1940s. So I knew that she was active because yeah, I knew that she was one of the the people involved with United Artists. So it's she was definitely very very active throughout. But her yeah, life, but but you know? but this this um movie that was made with with her without her knowledge. That yeah, that that was actually more d- like during the height, I think, of her mm. of her fame, which is you know late twenties, more impressive. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I I think that's a really fascinating story, and if that really is the springboard for how Bowfinger came about, then it's very interesting. I I will say it again though, total invasion of privacy. <laughs> I certainly was not uh, something that people talked about back then but certainly that wouldn't fly now just like think about if somebody made a an actual movie with like i don't know like jennifer lawrence just with stitched together footage of her doing her thing yeah yeah i I mean yeah you can't we also it's also that like we see so much of celebrities because of paparazzi we see so much of celebrities doing you know ben affleck with with coffee Oh my god. Enough of that. Leave I know, leave the poor man alone and like all I look, when I saw that picture of Ben Affleck with the I was just jealous that he got to have some Dunkin Donuts and yeah. I'm thousands of miles away from the nearest <laughs> I think. Yeah, I know I don't know where in the LA, I don't know where where else they would be. So maybe not thousands of miles, but there are no Far enough away. There are, there are no Dunkin Donuts like near Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, so, Dan, all of these years later, what would you do with such a movie? Oh, boy. Well, it's hard. Like I said, uh, I was going down that spinoff road and thinking about Christine Baranski. And uh, I I mean, look, if you could get her and Catherine O'Hara together to do a... I don't know. Have they done anything together? They have to have done something together. One would think, but not that I can think of, not not that comes to mind. Um, you think about a pre, thinking about a prequel because there's there's definitely backstory there. But then, are you casting right. these characters younger? Are you doing something about how Bobby Bowfinger gets into the business? And then, I, I, if that was the case, I I would only tr- like you know want it to happen if Steve Martin, yeah was was really driving it now the other the other thought i had was if you created a series okay and i i don't know that it could be set i don't mean a film series i mean you know a a tele it feels archaic to say television series yeah um but i think if you had um if you had a series about a filmmaker who's trying to make a film in this way. And it would be tough to set it modern day. It, it would be, I mean, look at all the equipment that they have to take out to, to make this movie. Uh huh. You could, I mean, yeah. you could arguably, even though it's a lot harder to, to make this type, like that type of movie nowadays, the type of movie where you're just like filming someone without their knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. I, but I think that having all that, like, it, it, it wouldn't be as much fun. 
to tell a story about it if it's just like, you know, oh, I'm holding up my phone and I'm pretending to be texting, but I am really oh, taking yeah. a video of that person. So I think if you did a series and you set it in, you know, set it in the 70s. Mm hmm. Like set it, yeah. set it in this, do a take on, you know, that like seventies filmmaking and, and style and, and all that. Have yeah, someone... I mean, there was definitely a big, like, you know, cinema verite was having a pretty big moment. I'd say in the seventies, I could totally see that working in that era. Have someone do it, like trying to make like some type of like French connection rip off hmm. yeah. and trying to get, you know, some, some star in it and I, I i mean i don't think it would be as broadly funny and i don't know that you would have a place for the gif subplot yeah the GIF in there I, it oh, would be a loose so well. it would be like a looser like kind of inspired by bowfinger i don't know i don't think you can i i i can't think of a continuation of bowfinger outside the carol story yeah that i would which is also great because, like, <laughs> Christine Baranski, especially after The Good Wife and with The Good Fight, she's become, I guess, her celebrity has kind of grown in a really fascinating way, which Mama is something Mia. that... Her Mama appearances Mia. in the Mamma Mia films. Yeah. And it's something that I think is fascinating when there are, there are actresses who uh, become more popular and cast in more things as they get older, which kind of bucks the stereotype of like women aging out of Hollywood at a, you know, at a certain time. And uh, I just give Christine Bransky so much credit for just like being so consistently great that she's really proven herself time and time again, that like, you know, she's not gonna, she just did not let that happen to her. I feel like there's a couple of other movies I want to mention because if people haven't seen them or, or or remember her performance in them, like either watch them or go back and revisit them. The Birdcage. The Birdcage is one mm -hmm. of those. The other is The Ref. Which, oh, The Ref. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which if you've got a Kevin Spacey issue might be a little yeah. challenging, but it's also one of those. I don't know. I feel like I could make an exception for that because it's from like 1994, I think. I watched, uh, uh, I think it might have been his first movie the other day, Heartburn. He plays a uh, a thief in it. And oh, he, uh, it's, he, it's, yeah. it was a little bit easier to stomach because, first of all, he's a bad dude in it. So it's does not a stretch to like dislike him. But also he's just so young that it's mm -hmm. like, it's not that it's a different person, but there's something about it that just feels a little bit different. And yeah, it's not I mean, his movie. He's not, he's, you know, he just happens to be in it. Yeah. Which the ref is, you know, it's Dennis Leary. Right. Uh, I think I like the ref so much and I love the performance is Christine Baranski who plays his sister-in-law. Okay. In it. And it's, it's Christmas and she's just so furious that it's, that, that it's just not a traditional Christmas. And when they all end up getting taken hostage by Dennis Leary and she says, this is Christmas. What, a, <laughs> what kind of Christmas is it? I, I, she, everything she does is just, is so, I don't want to say calculated, <laughs> But no, she's great. She's she brings really so great. much. Even just the way she says Kit Ramsey. 
the way she says everything is just so magical. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's the best. Uh, I have so much love and respect for Christine Baranski, uh, so who actually is also in Bullworth. She plays she Constance play in- Bullworth. Oh, wow. Jeez, and also in 1999, she's in Cruel Intentions. Oh my God, that's right. Oh, does, does she play? Would, uh, is she Selma oh. Blair's mother in that? Uh, it's Bunny Caldwell is the character's name. I don't remember exactly who she was in it. Um, she was in uh, the Ron Howard Grinch movie, for better or for worse. Uh, she's in Chicago. Um, oh, Adam's Family Values. Adam's Family Values. Hello. She's in that. Yeah. Yeah. She's just awesome. Yeah, yeah, Chicago. But I feel like once, but I feel like once, uh, the Good Wife came out, I, I don't know. She just like it just really boosted her. Like it kind of took her out of the sidelines and really put her up there. And she holds her own so well that she got a spinoff series. Mm-hmm. So, just goes to show you. Um, yeah. So my my idea actually does involve Christine Baranski uh, in her role as Carol. Uh, but not in the ways that you were talking about with Moira Rose because, oh my God. So I was thinking about, you know, how this would be such a different story now because of invasion of privacy. And then I was like, you know, it kind of plays a little bit differently if the person that the actor that is being followed, if we were to, if it was to be like a remade or like a type of remake, but if the person that they're following is, a not is such a not good person that it kind of validates it a little bit. And it's kind of like more of a revenge type of thing. Like maybe this actor like screwed some like young filmmaker over and to retaliate, they are making this movie in secret. And my thought about it, uh, first of all, would be that it would be directed by Edgar Wright Simon Pegg would play the douchey actor and uh, Christine Baranski's role would be I uh, she she has now become a studio executive and, or like an agent. And she is she hears about what this is and it's kind of her idea to have them make this movie in secret, you know, with this person. What if she's so, like, she becomes a casting agent? Yeah, she's just, yeah, which I could see her, her character going in that direction, but she, uh, she's just like, you know, about like 20 years ago did this thing and uh, it kind of went great. It kind of made my career take off because as we see in, uh, in um, Bowfinger, I was going to say Bullworth, Bullworth for a second, but as we can see in Bowfinger, I chubby rain leads to this crazy i mean culturally insensitive like kung fu movie where bowfinger and jiff ramsey are starring <laughs> fake purse ninjas fake purse ninjas which that's by the right. way a little funnier when you go to see this movie in the theater with someone who is is known for their shopping for fake purses oh, mom about that yeah my goodness rat her out uh yeah so it's if if anyone's seen the episode of broad city where Susie essman takes them to go to this like fake purse place where there's like all these hidden walls and all this other stuff that's our mother 
just so you know, that is what she did that is, with with did. my my wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, fake personages is it, it, when I was watching it this time, I was like laughing and cringing because I was like, this is so culturally inappropriate and offensive, but it is done in such a funny way. I just I can't help from laughing. And I don't know it's the way Jeff and is, is fighting. Oh my god! It, it's just like I hate it when you are listening to something and someone's describing something visual that you just can't see. And I'm so sorry, but this really needs to be seen to be believed. It is just it's so just, funny. I'm, I'm, there's probably a clip on YouTube. Uh, but it's just this, imagine, it's so good. imagine somebody who has absolutely no ability whatsoever to fight or look graceful and he's terrified and there's all the sound effects go, like all the fight sound effects are going on and yeah and he's he's terrified and he's just, the the physicality yeah, there's, there's Eddie plenty Murphy puts there, into if, it. if you if you search fake personages on youtube you can find the uh the clip from that i'd play the audio from it but it wouldn't it wouldn't you need read. to see it and Christine yeah. Baranski with the, uh, and Christine oh Baranski will talk about yeah culturally insensitive who plays yeah. I guess if I'm going to use a culturally insensitive term a quote unquote dragon lady uh yes. with the like just insanely long nails but yeah but but, chubby, her, but her reveal her reveal like they make a moment out of her reveal yes. because it is just so good and it's like I'm so happy that they like they give Christine Baranski this place to play Absolutely. And just to point out the moment, like when they go, when they have the Hollywood premiere, because uh, Bowfinger gets the, he gets the the green light, I guess, from Jerry Renfro. (laughs) You want to talk about how? (laughs) Well, yeah, I'll just quickly talk about how Chubby Rain actually works out. So uh, everything is kind of foiled when there's this climactic moment where he's going to say, gotcha suckas at the Griffith Observatory. And that's when all these helicopters come in and there's like a security guard who is part of Mindhead who pieces together what's going on and he, you know, gets Terrence Stamp's character. What's up? Uh, he's uh, just he's a security guard who works at the same studio as, as Dave and happens to yeah, notice it, Dave sneaking some equipment yeah. back in. So he pieces it together and he alerts Terrence Stamp to it. And it's so funny because Terrence Stamp even says like, well, I guess there were people following you. <laughs> Sometimes uh, the paranoid are correct. I, yeah. I don't know if that's the exact thing he says. But something I love like Terrence that. Stamp. Terrence Stamp is amazing. Terrence Stamp so, had, oh shit, that's another great indie movie from 99, The Limey. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen it. You've never seen The Limey? Oh shit, I Terrence so. Stamp I'll check that has out. this like, ex, like a London gangster who's daughter it um has like come to hollywood and she like she winds up dead and he's convinced oh, yeah. that it's like peter no, fonda who's like this big hollywood bigwig oh of it's course. one of my favorite soderbergh movies and i just watched the new soderbergh movie last night with uh meryl streep and uh, uh lucas hedges and oh it, diane uh, weist Bergen, diane weist yeah where's christine uh, was- baranski in that yeah, it was very good. It was very good. Oh, um, nice. I liked nice. it a lot. Yeah. Um, but I love, I'm sorry. Oh, oh sorry. Oh, yeah. Ahead. So anyway, so uh, so the security guard brings Terrence Stamp. They find them at the observatory and uh, things get kind of, uh, you know, they just end there. And that's where we hear the whole thing about it was a beautiful lie. And 
what ends up happening is the um, the crew members had been sent around with the cameras just to get a bunch of extra footage, and they like they happened to get Kit Ramsey exposing himself to the Laker girls. It comes back around, and I so that's all caught on film, and they use that to blackmail him, and. Uh, to get this movie finished, they shoot the whole gotcha suckers moment and he does like a whole, uh, you know, he really makes a moment out of it. And uh, yeah, and they actually have a big Hollywood premiere and Jerry Renfro's there. And uh, it's just, so, it's so delightful to see them getting their moment in the spotlight. And what I love about when you see like the final uh, chubby rain on screen is that Aside from the gotcha suckers moment, the rest of the movie it still looks pretty like oh yeah, B movie might be complimentary. Yeah. And but the gotcha suckers moment is like isn't isn't that shot like uh uh imitating the Shawshank redemption? It's very Shawshanky uh Romeo plus Juliet. Oh, oh, that that's yeah. what it is. It's with the like you know shirt open, the chest, the yeah. rain coming down. Yeah, um, and everyone loves it, but the faces it's ridiculous. The, the expressions, like Steve Martin, Christine Baranski, they're like their faces as they're watching it, and and having worked in you know in the arts, and you know in in do having done you know worked in some theater. And, you know, film not on the uh, Bowfinger, not even on the Bowfinger scale. But I identified with that and not as much when I first saw this movie, when I hadn't had, you know, as much experience in that. But you just being able when you see it on the big screen and the delight that you see on their faces is so real. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so wonderful, and and the confusion on Jerry Renfro's face, Robert Downey Jr. It's so good. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you need to have someone there who's like the voice of reason. He's like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, um, yeah it's it's awesome. I mean, and if in the world of Bowfinger, awesome. if it's awesome, oh yeah, Jeff. In yeah, Jeff. Uh, in the world of Bowfinger, if um. If somebody, if this movie was to have been promoted as being like a movie filmed in secret, like if it was present, like marketed that way, uh, then I I feel like it would have been heralded in a much higher position. But um, I doubt that that's what they would have gone for in this fictional world. Um, uh, and I know we're just like going on and on and on about how great this movie is, but I just wanted to talk about one other scene when they're in the parking garage and they have the dog with the heels on that's, you know, making the loud walking noises. And it's just like there's they were so fortunate that his character had such intense paranoia because like he reacts and he's so confused to what's going on. Ugh, it's amazing. But it's also I think that even by 1999, we knew enough about people in Hollywood and Hollywood types to to know that, uh, yeah, you know, there uh, Hollywood types might, you know, have these these type of of paranoias, and you know, it was established that Scientology was kind of a big, you know, Hollywood 
cult. Uh, you know, right. we didn't yeah. know as much about it then as we do now. No. But and by the way, I love it. It's such a minor little thing. But when he's when Bowfinger is talking to Terry Stricter during the the scene when he shows him the footage of Kit. Uh, showing yeah. it to the Laker girls, and he starts to say "mind fuck," but he 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 goes <laughs> now here at mind f- head, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's uh, ah so. I mean, I'm a Steve Martin fan, right? <laughs> so, especially of his writing, I love one of my yeah. favorite scripts ever is is the play he wrote Picasso at the La Panagile. Mm. Which is a play that I could just pick up and read uh, beginning to end at at any time. It was so... It's wonderful to see them having fun. It's wonderful to see them doing this movie. And to be honest with you, in the, the current climate we're in today, we're recording this on Wednesday, January 13th, uh, you know, which if you're following the headlines is the second impeachment yeah. of, of Donald Trump. And, but, but like so much chaos, um, you know, not just in the last week, but, but recently, and it's when movies like this are really important. Yeah. And to have a movie like this to go to in, and it's an hour and 40 minutes. It, yeah. It's, to have a movie like this where you can just say, I am going to put this on and take a little break from reality. There, There's not many other places I would want to go. Right. So before we get to what we're going to do on our next episode, our 100th episode, I just want to yes. play one more clip because we have not actually heard Eddie Murphy as Jif. Right. So I'm going to play yeah. the scene where uh, Jif is acting with uh, Heather Graham's character, Daisy, and she is uh, in the scene exposing her breasts. All right. There's your mark. Now, you understand the scene. You're not sure if you still love Keith, but you're offering yourself to him in order to save the planet. Okay, Jif, right up here. Now we're starting here. Uh-huh. And up. Okay. And roll sound. All right. Let's go. Mark. Okay, you're not sure if you love him, but you want to save the planet, and action. Keith, I don't know what's right anymore. All I know is I have feelings that make me need you. Need you now. The top comes off. Awesome. You're going to be a star. And cut. (laughs) (laughs) How awesome. And Eddie Murphy always plays such a, like, confident and cocky character. Yeah. And to see him as Jif, like, after he sleeps with Daisy and he comes in and tells Bofi, I just had intercourse. Yeah. And I think that it's the way that he plays Jif that makes you forget that that's Eddie Murphy, one of the biggest actors of, you know, multiple generations. And I don't know, like when they're like sitting at the diner and it actually comes out that he's Kit's brother, like it took like for a second, I was like, 
so like they seem so natural sitting next to this guy who they kind of look at as somebody who's beneath them in a way you know he's just a guy that they found and he runs errands for them and he happens to look like kit ramsey they didn't realize that he was his brother up until a few minutes later but uh the the idea of them sitting at a table with eddie murphy because that's you know the type of you know kit isn't eddie murphy exactly but he's at the star level of eddie murphy a few eddie, years prior I'd say. Eddie even, murphy, even in that era even in that era eddie murphy has had the reputation quite for quite some time of being i i hesitate to use the term diva but difficult. Uh, well difficult and also he his value his self value is you know is up there is is yeah. elevated and um you know you know he's yeah he's he's had that that reputation but i love when when he manages to to get past that because that's when he does his best work often you know when we think about eddie murphy's best work it's usually the earlier movies it's trading places mm-hmm. beverly hills cop 48 hours um Coming to America, yeah. Yeah, and that's why I'm so excited to see the new Coming to America is just because it's like, you know, of course it's these characters that we are so familiar with, but also it's Eddie Murphy after decades of like, you know, experience and having gone through the ups and downs of fame. And I I just wonder how that's going to read behind this character and i know we've seen we've seen him recently you know my name is dolomite he was excellent in that but uh you know i think that playing a character that he's played that he played at the towards the beginning of his career it'll just be fascinating to see i'm curious to see how that'll feel all of these years later especially from an actor who's just like one of the top actors for such a long time I mean, and also he's got an Academy Award nomination to his name, mm-hmm. arguably, you know, as some say, might have won the Oscar had it not been for backlash related to the release of Norbit. Oh, Norbit. Right. <laughs> Around the time of the Oscars when he was nominated for Dreamgirls, which he's yeah. excellent in Dreamgirls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm always I'm rooting for Eddie Murphy. And even though he might not see himself as the underdog, I kind of see him as the underdog in a lot of ways, especially now. And I am rooting for Eddie Murphy. I'm always rooting for him and Steve Martin. And you know what? If they wanted to get back together and do something again, it wouldn't have to be Bowfinger related or in the Bowfinger universe. Yeah. But I would love to see them back together again. Sure. Yeah. Well, Dan, why don't you tell everybody what we're going to cover on our 100th episode voted on by our wonderful social media followers? Yes. So we we went on Instagram, we went on Twitter, and we we asked you what you wanted to hear us talk about for the 100th episode. And it was close. Yeah, very close. It and, was and, a surprising turnout for uh, one of them on Twitter that nobody voted for on Instagram. Are the four choices were uh, Dave, Earth Girls Are Easy, Big Trouble in Little China, and Better Off Dead. And we are going to be covering for our hundredth episode 
Better Off Dead from 1985, right. starring John Cusack. And um, but don't be disappointed if you voted for another movie. There, we are we are not stopping at a hundred. Yeah, maybe I, we'll just make John those our next four episodes. Yeah. <laughs> we could. We yeah. yeah. It's it's possible. So, but for episode one hundred, man, what a uh, a I arguably a cult classic. Yeah, easily directed by sure. Savage Steve Holland. Yeah, a name that you might not have heard in some time, if ever. But or man, maybe when- you've heard it twice <laughs> this time, and uh, with one crazy summer. Yeah, yeah. Or well, how I, and I how I got into did- college. Right, but and I think he's also done quite a bit of TV. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll but talk about that in the next. Episode. Can't wait! Can't wait to talk yeah. about it. Better off. So dead. yeah, and uh, check us out on Instagram at Ruined Childhoods Pod. We're at Ruined underscore Pod on Twitter. Ruined Childhoods Pod at Gmail dot com. Uh, buy our merch at T Public. All those links are going to be in this episode's description as well. So. Dan, as you peel away in Jerry Renfro's stolen classic car, I bid you a good journey. Good journey. Seems as though you're doing much better. Yes, yes. Your paranoia is definitely under control since you came to understand happy premise number one. Happy premise number one. There are no aliens. Happy premise number two. Happy premise number two. There is no giant foot trying to squash me. Happy premise number three. Happy premise number three. Even though I feel like I might ignite, I probably won't. I'm